You're listening to the Lucas Askew Experience. Now, here's your host, the one and only, Lucas Askew. Hello, world. Welcome to the Lucas Askew Experience. We have a jam-packed lineup on the show today. So let's get right into it. And if I'm being honest, I'm really excited to just give some love to today's LA sponsor. So I'll spare you the opening monologue time, and let's jump in and hear a few words from today's LA sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Anaki's Juice Bar, because not all juice cleanses have to be demoralizing. You're probably saying to yourself, Lucas, are you back to your old antics and bringing in a food and drink provider to sponsor your podcast? Do you even drink juice? I thought you were a water glass guy morning, noon, and night. The simple answer is yes. Whenever I have the chance to bring on a sponsor that can either nourish my appetite or hydrate my immune system, I jump at the opportunity. And in the current climate we are living in, small businesses, especially in the restaurant space, are having to overcome some significant obstacles. So I wanted to shine a light on one small business in particular, Anaki's Juice Bar. You see, Anaki's Juice Bar is rare. You may be asking yourself why I didn't use the word unique instead, because that would have provided a greater cachet. That would be because I didn't want to use the word unique improperly, as I've done many times before. Unique is defined as the only one versus rare, which is defined as one of a few. And Anaki's Juice Bar is different, but not absolutely defined definitely the only one doing what they're doing. Hence, the term rare. Now that I've confused you with that tangent, it's time to really back in and share why this sponsor, Reed, is, is truly an amazing concoction. Anaki's Juice Bar is a small business located in Kauai, Hawaii. Kauai is not as famous as its relative other islands, Maui, Oahu, or even the Big Island. Kauai likes it that way. There are no frills, and it truly embodies the island lifestyle. And Anaki's is the perfect poster child for this. Anaki's is actually physically located in a small local grocery store, so you have to actually walk through aisles of bread, crackers, whatever else are on grocery store shelves these days, to get to the oasis of Anaki's. Now, if you've been to Hawaii, or even just dreamed about being there, It is a wonderful place to sit outside and have a nice tropical drink. That is where Anaki's thrives. The Anaki's Juice Bar has an assortment of smoothies, juices, and acai bowls. Now I'm going to focus some time specifically on their bowls. Anaki is creative with their names, from Da Dragon to Chunky Monkey to just plain Hulk. They bring that creative flair with the nomenclature and then back it up with some of the best assortment of blended fruit, fresh fruit, granola, and bee pollen. You don't need a you don't think you need a little bee pollen until you have some and realize it is what every drink is missing. The acai bowls are blended up to the perfect consistency. Not too thin, but not too thick. The creation just falls off a spoon so delicately. The great thing about these acai bowls is that they are so versatile. They can be eaten as a breakfast, a light lunch, a mid-afternoon snack. I even had it for dinner one day. 
And my recommendation is, is to try a little pitaya or dragon fruit if you want a little extra spunk to your bowl. The vibrant purple color of the pitaya will radiate from that bowl and will be an Instagram-worthy photo. Anaki's Juice Bar has weathered the impact of COVID-19 and remains open for business every single day. However, like all small businesses, they need your support. So if you're like me and extremely thirsty and hungry now after this sponsor read, please consider donating to Anaki's Juice Bar, or if you're in the Kauai area or plan to visit soon, make sure you stop by. It is worth a daily visit. Anaki's Juice Bar, demonstrating that good things can still happen at a bar since 2006. Welcome back to the Lucas Askey Experience on today's show. As I mentioned, the subject is travel. And you may think this is an ill-timed topic since we are still very much in the middle of a global pandemic that has cut airline travel close to 90%, the cruise industry close to bankruptcy, and many other closely tied businesses to travel in severe limbo. My timing has always been a little off for many things in life, so why, why change now? But in reality, I do think it's, it's a worthy topic to explore, especially as we look ahead to how travel experiences will change. So if travel is my topic, uh, the go-to person for my travel questions and needs, there's only one person that, uh, that came to the top of my list. He's someone that is an internal compass that always seems to point north. He's explored the globe, actually taken a year off a little while back to properly experience countries through, throughout this uh, great earth. Uh, he's always willing to pitch a tent and make lemonade out of lemons. And finally, there is a rumor that he is related to the legendary travel blogger, Rick Steves. <laughs> we'll get to the bottom of that during this show. So without further ado, and not to keep him waiting on the line any longer, please welcome Matt R. McKellar to the LA hey. Podcast. Mr. McKellar, how, how are you doing today? Yeah, you know, making, making the most of quarantine i guess uh putting in a few work hours and kind of counting the days till uh can get out and enjoy some nature or um you know at least escape the apartments a little bit i think we're all kind of in a mode where we've been working from home or what have you now and are itching a little bit to probably escape <laughs> when was the last escape like have you done any traveling in 2020 yeah, so not really. I mean, we, we took one weekend trip, which was nice. We escaped the Vancouver gloom that comes every winter. Uh, we headed down to Palm Springs, soaked up some sun in uh, mid-January. Uh, that, was, that was a quick trip. It was good. It was nice to recharge, but, but that's it. So um, now that we're in uh, June, it feels like we're due. <laughs> that is funny. I did not know that we both share the experience of our last major vacation was the, was the same location. Mine was also Palm Springs, uh, a little easier to get to than yours, uh, but it was a nine-hour trip in, in the car. Levi and, and Julie, that was our first family road trip um, in the early part of March before everything got shut down. So we, uh, we do have something in common. I, I'm sure our experiences uh, in Palm Springs are very similar uh, of what you and Ariel do and uh, myself and, uh, and the family. <laughs> I'm sure you've time to swing a golf club already. So. <laughs> so 
travel is is the topic and um as i mentioned in the, in the great intro uh you really are someone that uh likes to travel has done quite a bit of traveling and i wanted to to kind of get your your perspective on a couple things we'll just dive right in we 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 don't like all the kind of back and forth like relationship small talk uh i, I want to actually get right into the meat of this conversation start with your uh your travel predictions. So when do you right. think traveling will become a thing again? Because I feel before this quarantine hit, this was what you, this was what not just young people, but I think this generation was doing to spend time, display their, uh, their wealth on Instagram, kind of a place to recharge. So when, when will that become a thing again or will it ever what, look in your crystal ball. What uh, what is it telling you? <laughs> yeah, I think I think my best guess at this point is we're going to have stops and starts. Um, I read something interesting the other day where one of the first kind of flights landed in Greece, and uh, they did some testing upon arrival, which was kind of mandated by the government, and something like nineteen different people on board had tested positive for Corona. So. Everybody that landed had to then isolate for two weeks, and this is very recent, so they're all isolating now, I guess. I think we're going to have that play out kind of again and again, just little scares that kind of prevent us from returning to kind of full airline capacity at the very least for quite a while. Um, business travel is a whole different thing, but I think people are going to look to still do leisure travel in some capacity pretty much as soon as they're able or feel comfortable. And I think a lot of young people, especially are going to feel comfortable maybe arguably before they should, but it is something that, um, you know, travel is something that I think people to an extent define themselves around. Um, you know, it, when people escape their day-to-day -day routines and kind of dictate their own schedules and, you know, have all this choice around where they go and what they do and what they see uh, it's a, it's a, form of expression, I think. And um, people reflect fondly on these memories and build relationships to the experiences. Um, so even if, you know, we don't get the flights to Europe or Asia or what have you happening right away, uh, at the very least, I think people will start planning more trips in their own backyard. So if you're fortunate like you and I, and you know, you live in locations with good access to nature, I don't know about you, but some of my friends have barely hit pause here at all. They're still out, you know, rock climbing in Squamish or, uh, you know, out kayaking or, uh, you know, just tenting on Vancouver Island somewhere. Um, you know, if you're, if you're somewhere a little less fortunate like the prairies or, uh, you know, what have you, maybe pick up a new hobby. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have much advice, but... Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people are, are trying to find ways to get outdoors and still make the most of, of the good weather as we get into summer here. That is an interesting take that you you give there, both in the fact that, that there will definitely be stops and starts of just domestic travel, international travel, because there's so much about the virus that you don't know about, and there will likely be waves that come, the second wave, the, probably a third wave. Like I look at the rest of 2020 is just out the window in terms of like those monumental trips 
2021, maybe you got to get back to a little uh, more normalcy, but I think we, we could be 2022 before like things actually come, come to, to bear like they were before. Um, but I think it, it taps into the, the mindset of redefining kind of the, the art of travel and figure, finding places that are closer to your home. Because a lot of the times we look at ways to go much further than just even our own backyard. And yeah, there's certain places in the world that are more inviting and appealing than others. And we happen to live near them. May, there may be a little bias in here, but uh, it's getting getting up the old uh, the old road trip like that. Growing up, this is all that I knew. I, I'm not sure about yourself, but like we we didn't know what planes were for a number of years, and uh, it was packing up the the 1993 Toyota Previa and and going wherever we could, and that that was that was fun. I didn't know better that uh, there was more to life outside of it, but. Um, that was the, the way of the world. You, you did not understand the classic Jerry Seinfeld, what's the deal with airline food until your early 20s. I know, yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I think it'll be disproportionate too. Like I, I focused on some of the nature stuff in my response. Um, and I think that that'll kind of be a, a big focus to the extent kind of local communities allow for it. But I think a lot of people are going to feel more comfortable in a national park than they would, you know, in, in a large city like New York or Seattle or what have you, where it seems like the indoor opportunities for spread are much greater. Uh, and we're hearing, I, I think, that when you're outdoors and spaced out and so on, it, it seems like a less of a risk. You hit the nail on the head there. Of the, in terms of the spread, outdoor is safer than kind of being trapped in a claustrophobic room with uh, 20,000 people in a concert venue or whatnot. But I feel that there's a large swath of the population that are a like more homebodies and also just they don't like outdoors. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily say I, I love the outdoors uh, as much as some people, but I've learned to, to grow in appreciation. But I think that will be interesting kind of getting over the mindset of no, we're not going to take a trip to New York City as like the, the the big family trip of going to see a Broadway show and eating a New York style pizza. I don't know if that's uh, <laughs> the, the thing that's on it's on someone's list. Um, versus, yeah, let's go. Doesn't necessarily need to be camping, but getting outside and and exploring nature. I think that will be a a hard thing for some people and maybe others don't choose to do it, but you may see that rise and uptick in the appreciation of the outdoors. Uh, and hopefully that doesn't mean to the detriment of the outdoors because when you have more people on that type of land, uh, there's, there's room for just degradation. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there is, there's kind of an interesting thing this week where um, there's this Facebook group in Alberta set up. And it was around um, sharing spots that you can camp legally on uh, crown land. And you guys have a similar concept in the States around um, some of the land managed through, for example, the Bureau of Land Management and the National Forest Service. And these are spots where largely you're allowed to camp in kind of wilderness areas um, for periods of up to 14 days in any one spot. The rules are actually very similar between Canada and the U.S. Um, 
and it, but it's kind of like a niche interest. Not a lot of people do it. Most people like sort of the front country camp spots where you have more services and it's more defined and maybe even it's just a little easier to plan around if you're not familiar with the terrain. But on Facebook this week, uh, this Facebook group ballooned from, I think, 20 people to, you know, just thousands, tens of thousands even. Um, and that absolutely will have an environmental impact. Um, a lot of people who are new to that style of camping are just are probably not going to manage themselves quite properly or, or be around those who know how to properly camp in that situation. So, um, yeah, I, I guess for the, I, I really hope people educate themselves a little bit before wandering into the wilderness. <laughs> I, I think that's, those are good words to live by in general. I think ed- education before uh, trying something new is, is, is good. So um, I, I, I want to bring this uh, in, in this portion of the, the show, <laughs> not in the show. No, don't, don't, don't worry. There, there's still more show left. Uh, it's not like I would get you off on, on one question and then, and then we're done. Um, the just in terms of the travel, I think what is uh, what I would love to to see, and I would love to get your perspective, is just how the how the travel process changes. You mentioned in terms of like moving from locations uh, of high density to kind of more wilderness and outdoors, but just in terms of the the mindset of of travel, like I think we're we're both looking at travel this summer and looking at it very differently of. I don't necessarily want to stay in a hotel uh, for a long time, um, but I also have like a family. So it's like camping is a little harder. So how do we find solutions like that? What, what do you think will be the biggest changes just in terms of people thinking about travel and then actually experiencing that, um, that they wouldn't have been thinking about before? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, one funny thing I think I've found through, a lot of my experiences in this COVID kind of period is that um, none of my thoughts have really been unique. You know, like you, you, you get the, everyone had the same ideas to bake bread, uh, to buy fitness equipment, um, you know, to, to book camping spots here in BC. We opened up the provincial park uh, camping spot reservation system in the last couple of weeks and the volume on the system on the uh, the morning it opened was just a a massive multiple of the typical volume when they do this annually. Um, So I think, I think a lot of us are thinking along the same lines and I think a lot of us are probably not end up having the same sort of distanced experience we're expecting unless we really do plan ahead with things like reservations or we, or we really think out of the box with where we end up. Um, especially if you live in a, in a place like California that is very populous uh, and has wilderness sort of adjacent. So I think that could be the disconnect between expectation and reality is that, you know, a lot of these experiences will also be, unfortunately, um, very popular. Uh, and it's important to plan ahead and kind of have backup options if you have not made reservations or, or firm plan to go in advance. Especially if when we do get to the place of going to another country, I think the idea of, well, I'm just going to land here and just figure out my way. I think that will likely maybe not stop completely 
but it will not be as easy because a you may have to be in quarantine for a couple weeks yourself before actually acclimating to the to the city and they may not necessarily just take a random stranger off the street not knowing where you're coming from like you may be taking more tests coming into like a massage uh place in ho chi minh city um I don't know why I gave that specific example, but I really would love a $7 massage right now. But uh, I think those are the things that we took for granted before and, and will now be more at the forefront. And I think the ultra planners, maybe it's not a big deal, but those fly by the seat of their pants travelers may be in for a, a rough and rocky ride. Very well put. Yeah, exactly. I have to ask, what bread of choice were you baking? You mentioned uh, that you were following the craze. Were you just a, a plain, uh, plain loaf? Were you a whole wheat? Maybe throw in some onions and herbs? You know, it, it's actually my wife, Ariel, who's done most of the baking. I've done a lot of cooking. I've also been fortunate to have a couple friends drop off loaves. Um, the one was a sourdough. It was really good. Um, and, you know, my, my wife's mostly been making uh, things like muffins and loaves, uh, made a lemon loaf, very good. Um, but for a while there, it was, it was tough to get the flour, actually. A lot of the stores, at least in the city core, were sold out. Um, we have friends who are very cautious and, and sort of shop in this one grocery store that seems to be very quiet and they go at odd hours and so on. And we had them pick us up uh, whole wheat flour this week because it's been actually like impossible to get your hands on here for uh, wow. a couple of months. Yeah. Wow. I, I do appreciate you giving credit to the other people that have brought you these loaves. Like you're not taking credit for the loaf that has been brought. Like you, you could have shared to the LA faithful and, and been the, the person that uh, created the sourdough himself. But uh, I think it's a, a testament to your character that you are giving praise and credit uh, to the people. I would never lie to the LAE faithful. Never. <laughs> Good, because we, we would find a way. We're, uh, we're a, a mighty army of, uh, of Twitter trolls that uh, would, would find you and, uh, and, and make your life miserable. But we appreciate you uh, <laughs> telling the truth. So in, in terms of we, we've, we've gone to your crystal ball, let's, let's bring you back to reality here. Um, so no more being a genie and let's actually just allow you to be Matt, Matt McKellar for, uh, for a couple minutes here. But you obviously have, uh, have, have done things in, in life that other people haven't, uh, including taking a sabbatical and traveling around the world. Great timing to not do it uh, now as you did it a couple years ago, which is, uh, which is good for you. But from a philosophical standpoint, we'll, uh, we'll delve the conversation here. I would love to get your perspective on what are the things that you learned during this, this time away? We all are very myopic and get busy in our day-to-day work life, but you had the chance to unplug uh, literally and figuratively from the outside world. So what uh, did you learn about uh, yourself during this time? Mm, yeah, that's great. Um, I, I think there was maybe a couple of a couple of things that I took away that were interesting, and maybe a couple of pieces of advice I could share as, as part of that. I guess the first would be if you are planning um, 
a long-term sort of travel uh, experience, there are probably diminishing returns. A year kind of worked for us and was a nice long trip. We got to break into segments, but I think, I think, you know, we probably hit some diminishing return in terms of like how much you're learning along the way and how much you really get to recharge and, and so on probably after three or four months. And after that, it, it's kind of funny how you adapt like hedonically or whatever. You, you kind of get used to the idea of just being unburdened with work responsibility. Um, you get used to sort of just being on the road and enjoying life, which is great. But um, if anyone out there has the amazing flexibility in their lives, three months every couple of years would be, I think, more meaningful and more restful than, uh, you know, grinding to the bone for five, ten years and then taking a year off. Uh, so that's maybe one piece. Um, the other piece that I would probably say, and I guess I kind of alluded to in the first part of my answer, um, if you do have a like a, a good chunk of time to play with, breaking it into segments, like very different segments, was actually really nice and we can look forward to each segment individually. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend, unless you have a, like a very specific interest, I wouldn't recommend that somebody spend a whole chunk of time in one geography if that's the only time they have to work with. Like if you have six months, don't just go spend six months in Germany. Um, you know, do, do three Ooh, my, my, my German listeners that uh, are part <laughs> of the faithful will not love that uh, particular comment. I might have to edit that piece out, but uh, <laughs> I, I understand your, your sentiment there. A little diversification is good. Absolutely. Yeah, and different styles of travel. That, that was kind of like the other thing I was thinking about here is that I learned, I think, about myself, and I think with Ariel, it's the same, my wife. Um, we really enjoy the ability to be sort of autonomous and independent and explore a little bit. And that is harder to do in countries where you don't fully have a grasp of, I guess, the culture, but also you may not have the tools to do it properly. I guess what I'm getting at more specifically here is we were very comfortable traveling in America because we could navigate it and it all made sense to us. And we also could drive everywhere. We could get around how we wanted to get around according to our own schedule, which is very nice. And, and we like that a lot. And we have the same experience in Australia. We were able to like rent a car and just sort of explore at our own pace and, and see all the nooks and crannies as opposed to hopping on public transportation between major center to major center. Um, and I, I think it's just more, you have to, Travel in a few different styles to find what you like, but I think we found that really it'd be the most rewarding style of travel for us. And you get to plan a little bit, but also just fly by the seat of your pants a little bit. And you have that power with, with sort of arranging your own transportation, for instance. You gave a lot of great advice just in terms of breaking breaking it up, that it's almost you're kind of building a a menu that you don't want to just all have beef tartare the entire time like you want you want a little little uh flexibility in, in terms of what you're you're experiencing and, and the different places that you're going to and i like the you didn't frame it like this but i'll frame it as like the, the mathematical equation of 
you know, 10 years of grinding plus a year of sabbatical, not as great, like probably less than or equal to um, like a few years and, and take that shorter duration of time because, yeah, I feel that there's short bursts that we need, but it's, it's tough to sustain for that entire year. So uh, I don't know how you did it, but um, I'm sure there, there's harder things to, to do in life than uh, kind of st- stick on a, a one-year sabbatical versus uh, pulling the shoot after three months. So um, if you were to boil down, I won't make you go all into kind of your travels. Like you obviously touched Asia, Europe, Australia, Canada, the U.S., like all these places. If there was one place that surprised you the most, it can be location or you can get like nitty gritty into the city. What would it be that one place? Um, boy, yeah, there's, there's a lot of great ones. Um, my number one might be Tasmania. And I, I think, I don't know, for, for people who may have visited New Zealand, that may have some of the same kind of vibe to it. I'm not exactly sure. I haven't been there myself. But um, it's a wonderful place to explore. It's, it's a fantastic sort of gem that for some reason isn't on a lot of people's radar. But um, like you talk to even Australians and almost nobody's been there. It's sort of this forgotten little state and um, maybe kind of like the Maritimes for people who grew up in Western Canada or something. It's, it's kind of remote. It's stunningly beautiful. They've got these very dense forests and uh, beaches, much different beaches than, um, you know, New South Wales or Queensland or something like that, but uh, you can still swim. Um, and you can do all sorts of hiking and camping. You can even ski there. It's, um, and it isn't over touristy yet. I mean, there's, there's a few people who end up there for adventure travel and for something a little different, but uh, I would not be shocked if like tourism doubles there in 10 years because it's just a, such a fantastic place. They even grow a little wine there. Like it's kind of got a little bit of all these things while still being kind of like this novel experience that you haven't heard about 10,000 times. Tasmania, Austria, I, I wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been top of my list. It, it definitely surprised me. And I'm sure the, the folks over at Discover Tans, Tasmania really appreciated your endorsement. And <laughs> I could see you becoming an official endorser of uh, the, the tourism department there. You really, you have a great face and, and great vibe for, uh, I think, what they're trying to, to share. And uh, so I, I might uh, throw some, some emails and calls out to the people at Discover Tasmania. They may want to become a future LA sponsor and uh, get them connected up uh, with you. So uh, it's, a, it's an interesting one. I'm glad you, you shared that one. Wonderful. A little closer to home, second place, New Mexico. Uh, fantastic history, fantastic like scenery, so much to do, and a lot closer for home to you. Road trippable, almost. New Mexico is is definitely a forgotten place by a lot of people in the United States or California specifically. I, I met someone this year that was originally from New Mexico, the first person that's ever, uh, I've ever had that conversation. She loved it there, but yeah, it's not really what you would think. You kind of get the Albuquerque, seeing some of the pictures, you know, like the balloon festival, but there's more to New Mexico that, uh, that meets the eye. It's not Mexico, it's New Mexico. Remember that. <laughs> um, okay, so we, we've kind of gone through the uh, the cycle of uh, you, 
your crystal ball now to your, your sabbatical trip. Um, but I would love to now narrow in on really what gave you, what, what gave you the traveling bug? Like you, you grew up in pile of bones, Saskatchewan. Uh, what drove you to, uh, to take the leap and become an explorer? Yeah, I think a, a lot of it was just sort of like um, accumulation of experiences that other people kind of got me involved in one way or another. Like most, most notably my parents, of course, like you growing up, there was a lot of road trips. Um, you, you, I mean, growing up anywhere, um, any experiences you have sort of outside your own bubble are fantastic and sort of help your development, I think, from a certain perspective. But growing up someplace a little less populous or a bit more homogenous, um, like Saskatchewan, I think those trips were really formative and opened my eyes. You know, there is a world beyond here. Um, so I, I, would, I would say those were very important. And then I had just sort of a, I, to be honest, I can't even fully explain how I ended up taking a year abroad in university, but that was also uh, very much an experience that probably changed the trajectory of my life and, and changed what I find important and how I spend my time and money. Um, so I spent a year in Sweden. Um, Became the biggest uh, Swedish House Mafia fan that I know. <laughs> house music was absolutely a thing it was a big part of uh, the music scene there at the time loved it uh and the great thing about europe anyone who's been there like they they always say they've you know taken these fantastic cheap ryanair easyjet what have you flights and i absolutely took full advantage of that with my friends i mean um there's nothing comparable in north america outside of maybe uh you know some of those cheap Chinatown buses or whatever in the Northeast, but, um, you know, you, <laughs> you can end up in these countries with whole different cultures, uh, experience something brand new for, um, you know, under a hundred dollars often. You can get away for a weekend or an extended weekend. And, and I, I think I was able to pick up so many new experiences in rapid succession. Um, and really kind of opened my eyes a little bit. But also, I mean, I was getting away and, and seeing more there, but I was also meeting people, other exchange students from around the world. Um, and I, you, you get sort of the same story from most people who do an exchange. You, you have this fantastic experience where you, you learn about people's own personal histories and about their countries, and people are wanting to share what they, their, their own kind of story a lot of the time. Um, and through that experience, I also have made friends and kept friends from around the world, which has been great. As, as part of our year sabbatical, we absolutely ended up on a few couches from people that I uh, would have met at least a decade prior. And it was fantastic that these people welcomed us into their homes and were up for going out to doing things in their cities and so on. It was really memorable. Uh, you you really are a, a rags to riches story of uh, just kind of growing your 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 travel travel experiences and I think you're it's a it's a good good example of the the early years can be formative and and you were able to to take chances and uh, the year abroad in Sweden really kind of helped shape you kind of created those those lasting friends 
And I think that's one of the great things about travel is that you're able to connect with other people from other cultures that you can establish a longer term friendship that these people, you may have very little in common with them, uh, but you were both there at the same time. And that bond is, is pretty strong and they will allow you to sleep on their couch. uh, If you are doing a a travel uh, throughout their city in the future or vice versa, like it really builds that, that sense of community. So I think that's, I don't know if it's an underrated component of, of the value of travel, but those connections that you can make with people that you, you wouldn't normally if you just stayed in your, your Regina, Saskatchewan bubble. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with that, but uh, it's just the way that it is. And the flip side of it too, you know, reciprocating when you can, welcoming people to where, where you live and, and showing people around, offering a place to stay is always... Uh, hopefully part of that if you're in a situation where you can do so. Um, and you, you've allowed me to uh, stay on, on your couch, uh, even though this, this past year, it was, uh, it was very appreciative. So, so thank you for your, your hospitality once again. Anytime. So we've, we're, we're almost there. We're almost at the last question, but we're not. Uh, this would be the penultimate question of the, the interview here today. Um, I, I, love, I love lists, and I love kind of like going through like top – uh, top places and, and top things. So what I want you to do is write, you don't need to actually write down, but figuratively and auditorily uh, share your top three cities that you would rank top three cities in the world, whether it be, it can be a mixture of like live, uh, travel, ex- like visit, experience. Like you were to bottle that potion and you can only select three cities. What would those three cities be? And I'll share, I'll share mine uh, afterwards. Okay. Um, so I think as a, as a place to just see and experience it's something totally unique, probably Tokyo. It is sort of entirely removed from, like a, it's sort of a culture that is so distinct from the Western culture. It's a fully, you know, normal developed country that you're not going to have a lot of shock when you get there in terms of amenities or, you know, some people that that really matters. And and it's none of that, but it shocks you in all these little ways around how interesting the cuisine is, um, the fashion. It's, it's startling and interesting and really exciting in so many ways. I always recommend people go to Japan and it's getting easier all the time. Um, there's a lot more English there now than there was 10, 20 years ago. And of course they were about to host the summer Olympics. I think it's probably easier still than the last time I was there. So I put that top of the list. Second, um, I, I would have to say London. Oh, Okay. I'm choosing these big cities. I almost like I feel kind of copping out like these big expensive cities, but well, maybe London the third, is third one can be not uh, not big and as expensive. Okay, deal. So London is I, I consider London to be the capital of a lot of things that happen outside of the U.S. The U.S. you know has New York City as a center of finance and commerce and culture. Kind of, no city encapsulates it all, but it's pretty close. 
London is the capital for everything else outside of maybe Japan and China. Um, capital kind of gets routed through London. Tourists get routed through London. Business kind of gets centered there. Uh, and it's got a fantastic history all of its own and beautiful architecture and terrible architecture. Um, it doesn't feel overwhelming unless maybe you're like caught in the tube at the wrong hour. A lot of it feels like a small village, but it is this very important center as well. And it has so much interesting history that's fed into our own kind of culture here in Canada too. Um, and it's a fantastic, fun place to be. Like there's always events, there's always music. There's that famous saying, you know, when a man is tired of London, he's tired of life. And I think there is something to that. A visit to London is something I always look forward to. Third, I've got to move down the list a little bit beyond the global mega cities. The anticipation is palpable. <laughs> okay, my number my number three would be um the best kind of base that I think I've encountered for doing interesting things outdoors, which is Boulder. It's really easy to get to uh, as a place to visit. Flying to Denver, Denver is like one of the busiest airports in the world. Um, short drive to Boulder. Boulder is this sort of strange little, almost suburb, but not quite of Denver. You've got a lot of students there. You've got a few tech kind of people there, but mostly it's just a city built into the Rocky Mountains. Like it, people think about maybe, for example, if you're Canadian Calgary being right on the Rocky Mountains, it's still an hour away. Boulder is actually like in the Rocky Mountains. If you want to go for a, a mountain bike, uh, you don't load your bike into the truck and drive to the spot and then go biking. You just leave, you know, you, you hop on your bike out of your front door and go. A lot of Olympians end up there. Um, it's got mountain biking, it's got hiking, it's got fishing, it's got skiing. Anything you want to do interesting that's outdoors, there is a great place to do it there, and there's great people to do it with. Okay. Well, let's say it's a great list. You've got uh, Tokyo, Japan, you've got London, you've got Boulder, Colorado. Nice mixture of uh, different geographies, climates and experiences so it's a good list i'll uh i'll give you give you my top top three uh i think the first one that i've been to uh first place i've been to i haven't been to i've been to two out of the three uh so the first florence italy uh it's actually my favorite place uh to go in italy the best gelato of all the uh <laughs> different places in italy i have uh, i've established and it's easily located you can rent a car drive to tuscany and you could say Tuscany itself is a, an oasis of uh, just tranquility and Zen-like feel. Um, it really, we had the top down driving a convertible in the, uh, the hills of Tuscany, thanks to Florence. So I'd, I'd kind of blend it into two. Uh, Florence, Italy slash Tuscany would be, would be the first. Uh, second one, say Melbourne, uh, Australia. There's a reason why it's constantly in the most livable cities in the world. 
because it is the one of the most livable cities in the world. I think that's the mark of a, of a great city. You've got a great sports and arts entertainment district there. Um, it's just also easily walkable. It's right on the water. And then you can have in one day, you can go from 80 degrees Fahrenheit to 50 degrees Fahrenheit or 28 degrees Celsius to like 10 degrees Celsius. You have those, uh, all those seasons in one day. Great city. I would definitely recommend. I actually have been there. So I lied. All, all three places I have been. And number three on my list, my go-to place, especially, specifically in the summer, Washington, D.C. I, I know I, <laughs> I've shared this with you before. D.C. in the summer, it's, it's a top U.S. city, top North American city. You talk restaurants, you talk bars, you, you talked about the scene. Um, maybe not this current juncture and current week, but uh, traditionally uh, D.C. summertime. Uh, wintertime, it's not, not, as, not as fun and, and, uh, and well-developed, but D.C. in the summertime would, would highly recommend. You have all the lettered streets, A through, through L through M through N, DuPont Circle. Um, I'm just naming neighborhoods now, but it really is a, uh, a top of the list. So Florence, Italy, you got Melbourne, Australia, and Washington, D.C., I have to say, if I had to live in one city outside of North America for the rest of my life, it would be Melbourne, 100%. Great city. And mm-hmm. I, I also have to tack on there. With DC, I visited once, and it was about a 100 degrees and extremely humid. So the summertime in DC is maybe not for me, or maybe I have a bad impression of it, but that is not my idea of a great time. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, to each their own. So now we're at the, the point of the, the interview. We're actually on the last question. So for those that have just uh, forwarded 40, se- 40 minutes on their, uh, their podcast app, you're, you're at the good stuff right now. This is the last question. We're going to get Matt out of here on this one. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know it's coming. Same question I ask all my guests. Uh, it never fails to produce both thought-provoking and interesting answers. So Matt R. McKellar, if you were to give the LA faithful listening today one piece of advice even though you've given others just one piece of advice what would that be i'm going to keep it travel related i'm going to say take the time uh you don't know if you're going to get the chance to do these great trips or these grand adventures when you retire and you're old not everyone gets to be in the position from a health perspective uh, or from a family perspective maybe you have others to look after and so on. I've seen it play out so many times. Uh, make the most of your youth. Um, if you if you have a moment in your life where you can do something interesting, experience something that is is outside of your norm, go for it. Just make it happen one way or another. That is my advice. Take the time. Go after it one way or the other. You put that together. That's one great piece of advice from one great guest on the LA podcast, Matt. Thank you so much for for taking the time today. Thanks. It's great great to be on. And thank you to Anaki's Juice Bar, uh, today's sponsor of the LA Podcast, um, where you can get all your great acai bowls needs in beautiful Kauai, Hawaii. So, Matt, again, we appreciate you you coming on board. Uh, We talk travel. Both of us really hope that uh, the travel becomes travel uh, sometime soon, but 
in this uh, post-COVID world. We'll, we'll make the most of it. Stay local. Enjoy your, your upcoming summer travels, including uh, some local camping trips, and we'll, uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Always a pleasure. So remember, take care. Talk soon. And God bless.